Hey, good morning. Looking forward to this opportunity to share the Word of God with you in just a moment. Um, you know, we had a, a fantastic Easter uh, celebration at Lighthouse, two drive-in services last weekend, and it was just great to see so many of you uh, through the windshield, and uh, we just celebrated that time together lifting up Jesus, and always look forward to doing that. Um, we are, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start another series, and so I'm kind of in between uh, messages right now. These are these in-between one-off messages before we start another series. So, uh, But today, I really felt like it was important that I just really spent some time talking about winning the war for your mind. Winning the war for your mind. A minute ago, we took communion over our minds. We uh, are believing God together that he's going to sanctify our minds and sanctify our thinking as we give those things to him, our thinking and our minds. We want to do that. And, and so it's important for us as we really understand to as we walk in maturity god wants us to really take control of how we of our thought life that we've got to be those people that are very tuned in to what we're thinking about and just not letting our minds run with whatever's in our world, you know? Um, let, me, let me just uh, touch base with you where we're at. How many of you out there right now probably um, had some big event, major life event, could have been a birthday. Some of us are trying to forget about those. Um, it could have been a graduation, Maybe you have a high schooler that's a senior in high school. Maybe you had a college graduation. I know we've had a few of those uh, around here, high school students. All of those things, you've been looking forward to them for a long time. And then who would have scheduled a pandemic right on top of your big event? I know that we've had trips canceled, cruises canceled, people that had uh, been looking forward to vacations for long periods of time. All of those things got canceled. It's almost like you were right up here on top of things, and then it just, everything came to a screeching halt. And, uh, and so as I was thinking about how that affects our thinking and how that affects our mind, my mind went to a place in the Old Testament, which is where we're going to start today, in 1 Kings chapter 19. And I want to talk to you for a minute uh, from the life of Elijah. If I were to talk to you about Elijah, I would have to say that he is the quintessential prophet of the Old Testament. In fact, when you think in terms of the law, you think of, of Moses. When you think of the prophets, you think of Elijah. In fact, those are the two gentlemen that are on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, uh, where symbolically and, and uh, experientially, Jesus is fulfilling the law and the prophets, is, and he's having a conversation with Moses and Elijah up there on that mountain. So when you think about uh, Elijah, you're thinking about God's man of faith and power. And in 1 Kings 19 is unique because it brings us to that place where Elijah had just had a powerful victory. I mean, you couldn't get any greater in the life of a prophet. He had just uh, called down fire from heaven. It had come down on the sacrifice. God had proven before all of Israel and all of the prophets of Baal that God was God and Baal was not. And so this was the showdown at the OK Corral. This was the deal. This was the big high point spiritually of victory in the Old Testament that I would look at and I would say that was God coming through and not just showing up, but showing off. And here is God's man. Here is the man God used. And, and uh, in the instant of that, this highest of heights, 
suddenly he gets a, a message from Jezebel that she was going to come and kill him. She was going to come and lop off his head. She sends a messenger to him, and Elijah, Elijah's, uh, his uh, courage just completely left him. And I'm going to give you a little backstory before we get into this passage. I'm, I'm going to pick up the reading in just a moment. Uh, but uh, what ends up happening is that uh, Elijah runs for his life, and God comes to him and says, uh, you know, meets up with him and says, Elijah, why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you running? And uh, Elijah is just so uptight about what's going on that God realizes that, uh, you know, not that he had to realize and figure it out, but he knows that Elijah had, had been at a really high point and now he was, at, he was the most vulnerable in his thinking, in his psyche than he, that he had ever been. He was open to depression. He was open to discouragement. And so God tells him, Elijah, I got a plan for you. And, and so uh, he tells him to lay down and rest. And, and the Lord feeds him. An angel of the Lord comes and gives him some food. And, uh, and then he takes another nap. Then he eats some more. And then he sends him on a trip. And so in 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, we, uh, we pick up that uh, passage in verse 8. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazael king of, uh, over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahaloh, to uh, succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. All whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. I want to uh, bring to your attention a couple of things that are in this passage that I think are important for us to get a hold of. First of all, uh, this conversation, did you notice, it repeats itself twice. God starts with the question, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah begins to repeat everything uh, that uh, is going on. He said, well, here's where I'm at. And, and he begins to recount all of the situation as Elijah sees it. And so God, what God does is God sends him 40 days away. He feeds him and he sends him away, brings him to another area, and then he asks the same question again. And he gets the same response 
by Elijah. But now Elijah's in a different place. He's in a different context. He's had a month and a half to get on the other side of this, 40 days as it were. And, and, and notice that, that, uh, that God doesn't um, browbeat him. God doesn't beat up on his man. Uh, notice uh, three things about what happens here. Notice God's not in the powerful wind. God's not in the earthquake and God isn't in the fire. He speaks from the gentle whisper. You know, one of the things that I think happens in our lives when there's a flurry of activity around us, uh, oppressive events taking place, circumstances that are beyond our control, there's so much noise in our ears, isn't there? There's so many things that happen around us, and we're saying, is God there? Is God in this? Is God in that? And right now, uh, there are so many prognosticators telling you who did what, and what's happening, and God brought this curse, and God, God is doing this, and these are all the things that, let me tell you, you need to learn to hear the voice of God for yourself. But can I tell you, it's not going to be a wind, and it's not going to be an earthquake, and it's not going to be a fire. You need to learn to hear the inner witness of the person of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And it's going to take some detoxing of your mind to get you to the place that you can actually hear his voice. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But here's what I, I want you to see from the, the life uh, of Elijah. God speaks in a gentle whisper, so we need to learn to get our minds quiet in order to hear him. Notice what God does. He's very kind to Elijah. First, he lets him take a nap. Second, he feeds him some really good food. Third, he says, you know what? You're in the desert right now. You need to change your context. You need to get to a different place. And so he sends him to Mount Horeb. This is the, this is the mountain of God. This is the place uh, that overlooks the promised land. So he sends him 40 days travel uh, to get to the mountain of God. He changes his context. Can I just tell you a secret to a, a long-term healthy Christian life? You need to be kind to yourself. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God tells us God knows that, our, that we are dust. God is kinder to you and me than we are to ourselves. We're much harder on ourselves than God is. And he knows that everything is connected. Let me tell you, if I get, uh, if I get low on, on, uh, on my, my dad would say low on groceries. If I get low on groceries, if I'm hungry, guess what? I can get hangry. Um, I, can, I, my, I don't think straight. I might snap. I might say things that I wouldn't normally say. Um, our bodies and our minds and our emotions, all of those things are connected. And so can I just tell you that uh, good mental health starts with taking care of your own physical body. This is what God does for Elijah. He knows Elijah's struggling, but he tells him, take a nap, get, get some rest, get some good food. You know, it's going to look better in the morning, right? Things are going to change in uh, your circumstances if you'll look after yourself. So here's the thing you and I need to remember is that from the beginning of 1 Kings 19, God starts his prophet on a season of refreshing. Elijah had to be tough as nails in so many ways. He went up against 450 prophets of Baal. He was the only one. You know, he gave orders to them, had them build a sacrifice, put the bull up on the altar. This was a guy that was a standout guy, and yet God sends him on a season of refreshing so that he could be rejuvenated and so that he could minister back into Elijah's life and help him rediscover his purpose. He feeds him good food. He gives him extra rest. He changes his context. You know, 
When was the last time that you just took a mental health break? When was the last time that you just said, you know what, today I'm not going to plan anything? Now, for some of you, maybe that's every day, I don't know. But for the, the rest of us, when we're dealing with pressure, one of the best things that you can do is to really take a break, is to just take some time away, go for a walk, uh, go, uh, you know, for some of you, taking a run is therapeutic. Whatever you need to do to, to find rest and to recenter yourself back to where you need to be, you need to have your soul be refreshed. And this is exactly what God does for Elijah. He can't speak to him about about his mission until he gets him reoriented and recentered back where he needs him to be. So remember that when we, as we move on from this, God is kinder to us than we are to ourselves. And here's why: God sees things with a proper perspective, while we are limited in our understanding. I want you to see uh, from this text something that God corrects in Elijah's thinking as he goes through. Now, one of the, the first things that you'll notice about uh, what God does for Elijah is that after Elijah is out of context, now he goes from the desert to the mountains, good food, had some rest. Now he's up there and he's standing there before the Lord. The Lord gives him uh, some instructions. He tells him to go back and anoint two kings, one over uh, Syria, one over Israel, and, and then to anoint uh, his, his uh, successor. And he tells him very clearly about what's going to take place, but he tells them, he, he's telling Elijah, go back. He tells him, go back the way you came. I, I want to tell you that refreshing comes through repentance, that when we go back to the first things that we already know, we go back to our first love, we go back to our first works, we go back to those things that, that uh, brought earnestness in our own souls, and we get back before the Lord, we get earnest before him. This is exactly what God tells Elijah. He said, go back the way you came. And I want you to do these three things. And notice that he prioritizes the anointing. Now, uh, in the New Testament, the anointing uh, is, is uh, found in the person of the Holy Spirit. The prophet's job with the upon ministry of the Holy Spirit in Elijah's day is, is that he is going to transfer. He's saying to these two kings, the Holy Spirit is upon you to lead. And to the prophet Elisha, the Holy Spirit is upon you to prophesy. He is prioritizing the work of the Holy Spirit in the prophet's life. And he says, I want you to go back and remember what the anointing is on your life to do. And a lot of times when our minds are full, we forget. We forget what God is doing. We, we think only of what we're doing. And we take all the pressure on ourselves. And that was never in the heart and mind of God in the first place. You know, I say it around here at Lighthouse a lot, but I want to remind you of this, that every miracle of God always had a, a two-part harmony. There was a, uh, there was a God part and there was a man part. Uh, anytime that God wants to do something, he has to have a man. He has to have a woman. There, there was no uh, 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 Red Sea parting without God's work, but it was Moses' staff that became the rod of God. And, and so that two part, there was Moses' part, there's God's part. Uh, without, uh, uh, you know, without Mary's womb, there is no incarnation. There's the man part or the female part in this case, or, and the God part. 
part, you know, that conception of the Holy Spirit. There's always that two part. Uh, that, and, and sometimes we can get worn out because we think it's all on us, but really is not all on us. We need to learn to do God's work God's way, and that means we prioritize rest for our souls. So I, I want to encourage you um, with that. Um, so the second thing I, I want you to realize, uh, knowing that uh, we are in a war, is that the battlefield is in your mind. You, you know, the challenge, the, the disputed territory, here's the reality. Your brain is not saved. When you got born again, when you got born again, your spirit man came alive and the Spirit of God came to live on the inside of you, but your brain isn't saved. Your thinking is not born again. That's why the, the Word tells us, and we'll get into this in a little bit in Romans 12, that you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If, if your mind was automatically renewed when you got born again, then that passage would not make any sense. But because your brain is not saved, that means you're still thinking just like, uh, just like you did before you got born Born again. You know, when I was 17 and I got born again, and I shared my testimony last week, uh, when I got born again, I was still thinking like a 17-year-old uh, young man uh, that had lived for 17 years for himself. I, I was born again. I was headed to heaven, but my mind half the time was still in the gutter. My mind was not where it needed to be. Why? Because I, I, I was pre-programmed as a sinner, and you were pre-programmed as a sinner too. Your brain is not saved. You've got to trans, uh, it's got to be transformed. And that's the, how the transformation takes place. The battlefield is in your mind. Romans chapter eight, verse five says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their mindset on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mindset on what the spirit desires. First uh, Corinthians 2.14, the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God for their foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The battlefield is always your mind and you and I need to recognize uh, that we are in control of our own thinking. The devil can't make you think one way or another, uh, but he can make suggestions. You know, you and I have to realize that it's our responsibility to control our thinking. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. They're not carnal. They're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. What are strongholds? Strongholds are systems of thought. Systems of thought that deny God, that deny God his right to have authority. You know, God wants to speak into your life, but you've got to welcome him to do that. And many times our minds are racing so much, so constantly, wandering and wondering. We're spending so much time wandering in our thinking, wondering what could happen next, that God can't speak to us the way he wants to speak to us. He wants your mind and mine to be one of rest and peace. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to your spirit, but he wants to use your mind. But your mind has to be at rest in order for that to happen. Um, point number three, your circumstances are not in charge of how you think you are. You're in charge of how you think. Yeah, you can read the propaganda in the world, but you don't have to talk like it. You don't have to think like it. 
And if you are thinking like it, let me tell you what you probably need to do. You need to turn some of that off. You need to fast that for a little while. You need to not stay so in touch with what's going on in the world and get more in touch with what's going on in the word. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Make a, a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Uh, let me just tell you that if, if, uh, if whatever the nutrients are that are going into your mind, if they are diseased, if they are corrupt, and you allow that to function and happen on the inside of your mind and let it go unchecked, the fruit of your life is not going to be what you had hoped. What you're going to find is that that negative thinking will not produce a positive life. And many of you are stuck in a lifestyle of, of uh, uh, unchecked thinking that's gone on and on and on. You've had generations of generations of generations of not thinking the healthy thoughts, not thinking thoughts that will edify you and build you up. And as a result of that, um, you have a negative lifestyle. God has more than that for you. And you can't look at God and say, God, how come my life is the way it is if your brain has been thinking unchecked thoughts and you haven't been filtering them the way you need to? You know, so you need to practice uh, uh, fixing your mind on the word and fixing your mind on Christ in order for your, your life to begin to level out and move in the direction uh, that it needs to go. Elijah needed to learn to filter his thoughts, but that was, this is a New Testament concept Elijah didn't have yet. So there's a New Testament understanding we have that Elijah did not have. Now we understand, like I said a minute ago, theologically that our brain is not saved, but your spirit man's saved. And you can look into the word of God and edify your spirit man by reading the word of God. And so what you have then is an objective standard. You have the word and the word can help correct your thinking. Your thinking and my thinking is bent. It's crooked. It has a bend toward iniquity, but God wants to line it up. He wants the plumb line of his word to be allowed in our lives, uh, we want to begin to align our thinking with God's thinking. Um, let me ask you this before we get into this very last passage for, for today. If you and I have an estimated 20,000 thoughts per day, how do you filter or categorize them for yourself? How do you organize your thoughts? How do you make them work for you rather than make them work against you? You know, how do you know, that there, there are three H's I think that, that you and I could look at. How do you know if those thoughts are coming from heaven? How do you know if those thoughts are, are just human thoughts? They're coming from you. How, many, how do you know if they're coming from hell itself? How do you know whether or not your thoughts are, that, that you're listening to are from the Lord or from the devil or from your own mind? How do you categorize that? Well, the Bible doesn't leave us to question about that. It doesn't leave us to wonder. It gives us a very clear pattern, and I want to share that with you now. Number four in your notes, learn to filter your thoughts to keep your life positive. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, I think I was going into eighth grade, and uh, my stepdad had a uh, concrete products business, and it was down in Western North Carolina, and one of the things that they, they did for the products business was they would pump sand out of the river, and they had different screens to filter out the sand, so they had different grades of sand, and they had a certain sand that they would use, you know, that was just playground sand, they had sand that they would use to mix concrete, and then they had some really fine sand uh, that was used for other things and they would sell it and and each screen had a 
it had a, a different size opening and it would allow a different size granule to go through. And so uh, each screen was in, in place so that they could filter out uh, the product that they wanted. And it reminded me of what Paul does in Philippians chapter four in verse eight. I'm gonna read the verse to you now and we're gonna wrap up here today. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, let me just break that down word by word uh, today before we finish. That word finally in, in here is used in other places in the New Testament. It's also translated from now on. In other words, he was saying, okay, I'm gonna complete a thought here. So he uses finally there, but he's also saying, guys, here's a command from now on, because of everything else that I've said, from now on, this is the way you need to think. And the first thing he says is whatever is true. Let's stop there for a minute. How many of your thoughts could be filtered out from that 20,000 thoughts if you just put this one filter on and said, is this what I'm thinking about? Is it actually true? I mean, is it actually true? Like, could I go and check this story out right now? Is it actually true? Just what I'm thinking about now? Or is it, is it some kind of theory? Is it genuine or is it real? Is there anything that I can control about that? Is it true? Let me tell you, a lot of your 20,000 thoughts just got lopped off right there. Can I tell you? Um, whatever is noble, is it worthy of respect? Is this worthy of, of my highest thought process? Should I... It, should I be giving this dignity? Should I be giving this any serious thought? Is it noble? I, is the thing that I'm thinking about right now the best use of my gray matter, of my brain space? How can I filter that out? And, and so you begin to filter it using these words that the word of God gives us. Uh, number three, the, the word is pure. If it's pure, then it's innocent, it's holy, it's uncorrupted. God wants us to use our minds for things, for thinking thoughts that are uncorrupted. Boy, that's a big challenge sometimes, isn't it? Especially in the immoral world that we live in. Can I tell you, you can't do this without the help of the Holy Spirit. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, when you invite him into your thinking, and you gotta pray something like this, Holy Spirit, convict me deeply in the way that I think. Because if it's important, and I believe the way you think is important, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If there was anything priority that you need to put uh, some attention to, it needs to be on your thinking. If the battlefield is in your mind between you and the enemy, let me tell you, that is the contested space. And if you give up any space, he's gonna fill it in. He's gonna take it over. Why? Because he wants to guide you. Holy Spirit wants to guide your mind. But if you're not careful, the enemy will guide your mind. You get to cast the deciding ballot. Holy Spirit, convict me deeply if I'm not thinking the way I should. Let me go quickly through the rest of these. Is it lovely? Is it pleasing, agreeable, amiable? Are, are, are the things that I'm thinking about, are they pleasing? Are they edifying? Do they build anybody up? Is this thing, does it have any virtue to it? He goes on to say, uh, is it excellent? Uh, it, that means exceptional. Christians ought to be marked by, by their, uh, their patterns of exceptional thinking, thinking outside the box. You know that word exceptional or excellence there is a brother to the word glory. 
There's a psalm that says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. That, that, glo- that word glory means weighty. When we think about excellence, we think about, man, the, when somebody has a spirit of excellence about them, you think, man, I don't know how it could be done any better. It just, it has so much substance to it. Right? And so our, our thinking needs to be thinking that has substance to it. It has to have weight to it, right? Uh, if it's praiseworthy, then it's worthy of recognition and approval. Now, the last, uh, the last part of this, just before we close, this is what he says. You need to think about these things. In other words, consider them, ponder them, calculate these things, reckon these things, take account of them. When you and I purpose in our hearts to win the war, for our minds. What we're literally doing is we're winning the war for our lives. And when we win the war for our life, guess what happens? Jesus gets the glory. Why? Because you can't do it without him. You can't do it without the help of the Holy Spirit. You can't do what God wants you to do with a corrupted mind. You can't do what God wants you to do living any way that you please. You can't do what God wants you to do if you're bound by worry and you're bound by fear and you're bound by frustration. It just won't happen. So I want to contend with you today to think on these things in order to win the war for your mind. Learn to filter your thoughts regularly. The positive will rise and the negative will fall. Let me pray for you right now. Father, I just thank you for the privilege that we have, Lord, to gather together, hear your word, and be changed. Lord, change our minds so that we can think God thoughts in our lives. Lord, let us take in the word and let it allow us to change by uh, renewing our minds. Lord, bless your people as they walk with you, as they learn to filter their thoughts and honor you in all that they say and do. Lord, we bless you for that today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I look forward to seeing you uh, next week. All right. God bless you.